Good afternoon and you're very welcome to another special episode of the Women's National League podcast here on Final Whistle. Of course, no Women's National League at the moment. We will talk about the Avenir Cup final, uh, which takes place in just a couple of days' time in the showgrounds. Galway, of course, taking on Cliftonville in that. But it is all about the Women's World Cup. Uh, Ireland finally, on uh, within 24 hours, of taking their first steps in this fabulous competition. Of course, it's been on the go since 1991 in the women's game, but it's the first time Ireland are going to be taking place in it, or taking part in it, should I say? And uh, over there, enjoying the atmosphere in Sydney, getting ready for the game, is Aaron Clark. Aaron, um, I've got over the jealousy issues now. If you've been at the World Cup, you're there. It's all on the doorstep. You must be uh, loving the atmosphere. What's it like in Sydney at the moment to be there, to be Irish, to be part of this travelling circus that's going to be following these girls for the next few weeks? For me, you can probably see the fatigue and the tiredness of uh, of making the trip. The the eyes don't lie. It's it's been good. It's been great seeing loads of Ireland flags out. Seeing there was loads of my plane over. I was on the same plane as Heather Payne's parents and stuff like that. And it's great. You can see. There was Irish fans met up, met on, met up on the beach as well this morning, just to, to sort of recreate the the koi big and the hashtag and, and stuff like that. Like, there's been a lot of things happening. A lot of Irish fan, a lot of Irish fans in in England around the city. I think people are just really excited to get going. I think you know, if you look at not even just over here, but even back home, you look at the likes of Rings End, you look at the, the likes of all the. I think Katie McCabe said in the press conference today, there's over a hundred watch parties alone for this game, which is massive for for women's football and. Like yes, it's a it's a late kickoff over here, but it's it's eleven o'clock in the morning, and to have a hundred watch parties, I think there's two thousand at the the National Indoor Arena for an event that Fingal are putting on, and like it's it's great, it's it's exciting. Got a first look at the stadium today. Got to see what's going on and and stuff like that. Got to see where I'm sitting in the stadium, and you know what, the, the buzz is just really there. Everything is everything's. We're just really counting down now. Less than twenty four hours, as as you say, as you say to go and like. Just to see Ireland, Ireland's players step onto the pitch as a little bit of familiarisation. It's a little bit different this year for the World Cup and the fact that the teams don't actually train in the stadium the night before the game. They train somewhere else and then they come and sort of do a walk around and familiar, a walk and a familiarisation. Like Australia trained in Brisbane today, didn't even train in, in Sydney and they flew up They flew up then and Ireland flew up as well today and Ireland trained somewhere else. Katie Avira obviously had the press conference and then Sam Kerr, Sam Kerr and, and the Australian management also had their own press conference in the stadium. A lot of journalists around, a lot of media around, a lot of a lot of publicity. Like it's you can really see the hype is building around Sydney. What's the mood like in the Irish camp and in the Irish uh, diaspora and supporters that have travelled over there? There must be a lot of excitement about um the whole competition kicking off both for the for every team in it, but essentially for Ireland in the one of the first two games of of the the competition match two officially second game to, of the game of the games but the host nation the larger of the two host nations you can't quite help feeling yeah, New Zealand have been thrown a bone by giving them the first game it's really all about that sell out uh, st- stadium Australia uh, clash between Australia and Ireland tomorrow night yeah like the, the, I think that the mood the mood is great I think as you say everyone everyone's excited but the thing is nobody is questioning that the task that's ahead like it's it's not an easy task the Australians are on great form. They beat the French in a friendly last week. They've also beaten England this year. I think if you look at their results, you sort of have to wipe away the result against Scotland in, in, in early in the year. It was sort of a, it was a different Australia team, and like they come into this on, on good form. Ireland Ireland come into off the back of the, the, the big the big defeat against France. It's it's not going to be an easy task, but I think the Irish fans are coming. They've come in their droves. I think the official number, I suppose, is, is, is over four thousand travelling from Ireland alone plus. 
what you have from people who are in Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, you know, Brisbane, all sort of congregating on Sydney for the game. And it's great. It's going to be amazing to see all the Ireland flags. Like Ireland are, the official Ireland section is in the south is in the south stand. But the thing for me, Brefney, is you'll probably see a lot of Irish everywhere. And they'll be all over the place. The flags will be there. Like It's great. You can see different people in, in terms of social media have been, have been out and about today and sort of meeting up with fans, getting getting fans' reactions. And just everybody's just really excited. Everybody's just really looking forward to it. Yeah, I get the feeling that there's going to be a lot bigger Irish contingent at the game than maybe anybody expects because I think we forget sometimes just how many Irish are resident in Australia at the best of times. So given 12 months notice or well, maybe definitely six, seven months notice of, of these games and these fixtures, I think people have made arrangements to get, as you say, from Brisbane or Melbourne um, to Sydney for the game tomorrow night. It's going to be an absolute uh, humdinger of a clash. Let's talk about the actual game, though, uh, because obviously we've seen the the press conference from Vera Powell and Katie McCabe, thankfully all about football, which is how it should be on the eve of, of a World Cup. Um, Denise Sullivan passed fit to play. Is that the big news coming out of tonight's press conference? Yeah, I think that was the big, that was probably the big worry for a lot of people. Would Denise be fit? Would she not be fit after the, the, the incident that happened during the Columbia game? And thankfully she's trained the last two days. Uh, Vera said obviously trained fully today, done contact training as well. So I think that's massive news for, for, for Ireland. If they were to lose Denise O'Sullivan, like you, you, it's 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 nearly like losing part of your part of your right arm, and it would have been a massive loss. But it's good that she it's good that she's fit. I, I really don't think un, unless she was in a really 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 bad way that her leg was nearly hanging off. I think I think Denise would have played. She'd have, she'd have played through the pain, maybe with a couple of painkillers or something, and sort of went through it. Considering you can see how much it means to the likes of herself, but that that was the real one. Like in terms of the press conference, it was quite a. How would you say a mellow press conference in terms of Vera Pell type press conferences? It was quite quiet, and it was it was more, as you say, talking football, talking about the the arrival into Sydney and, and things like that. And there wasn't much really questions in, in way of what's come out in the last couple of weeks. I, I, I was a little bit surprised about. I thought the Australian media be all over. I thought they'd they'd want to they'd want to ask a lot of questions, and I was I was surprised they didn't. But it was good that it was it was just on football because you could see before the French game how how frustrated Katie had got with the with the press conference with the media the way the way it was all focused around the allegations and things like that. So we sort of expected it might a little bit bit big today, but from an from an Ireland viewpoint, just no there was no distraction from that and coming into coming into tomorrow. And I think that is important. Yeah, no, because I think that could have overshadowed the the complete build up to the games, and so now we're looking at uh, just purely focusing on football, which is phenomenal from a, a recent uh, press conference history with the Irish side. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the team selection for tomorrow night. Obviously, we're going to see a lot of familiar names. Um, will we see much change, maybe, from that France friendly in Tallis Stadium a couple of weeks ago? I think she'll go. The, I think she'll go the same eleven. I, I really do. I think she'll go the same eleven. If she doesn't, I think she might make one change. I think the only the only potential change is does she go with Rusha Little John or does she go with Lily Ag? But I think the rest of the team will be will be as lined out. Courtney Brosnan go, Heather Payne right right full, Megan Connolly, Neil Fahey and Louise Quinn in the middle, and then Katie the left side, then you have Sinead Farley, Rusha Little John and, and Denise Sullivan and then Marissa Shiva and, and Kira Cruz up top. I think that's the way she will go. The only thing, the only surprise would be if she, if she made if she made the change for for between Lily and Lily and Rusha. Other than that, I, I can't really say making many other changes. And I, think, I think she sort of alluded that the French game sort of would be the sort of lineup she would love to go with. The only thing is though, if she goes with that lineup, um, Thomas Gustafsson, the, the 
Australian coach. I don't know if you've had a chance to have a listen to any of his, any of his press conference today. And he sort of alluded to knowing where Ireland tend to make mistakes and, and where Ireland tend to be weak. And he sort of, he, pin, he, he wouldn't go into much detail, but he did pinpoint the fact that Ireland tend to concede goals towards the end of the half as well. They start well, they start the first half well, start the second half well, but they tend to concede goals just before the break. And he sort of talked a little bit about planning for that. So, like Ireland are going to have to be on their on their edge on their on, on their toes tomorrow. I think for me, if if we have what we had in the last couple of minutes of the first half against France, we'll be punished again, and we were rightly so punished with the two goals against uh, the two goals before half time. But like even Vera spoke post game after the French game to say that like the, the third goal, which for me is probably the most disappointing goal against France, is when when she's allowed run from about fifteen yards outside the box and head and heading a free header in the box, and Vera sort of said that was the first set play goal. That, that Ireland had conceded since the since the Germany game in the last campaign, and you'd be hoping that they've 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 sort of turned the screw on them little mistakes that they made in the French game because can't afford to make them mistakes tomorrow, especially against an Australia team who are coming in and really on good form. Yeah, in my preview of the competition and of the, the group B in particular, uh, they went out on on final whistle that I yesterday. Uh, I allude to the the concerns I have about the depth of the squad. And in terms of the experience, once you get past maybe uh, number 13, 14, 15 in the squad, there doesn't seem to be a whole pile of belief uh, from management in, in some of those players um, really in delivering or been in a, a high-intensity situation. Is that a concern or, or am I being a bit over-cautious on that? It's always a concern, Bethany. And the fact that you've alluded to it, and we haven't had this conversation in quite a while in terms of, me in terms of the squad because it's something that I actually have a have a lot of concern about as well because the fact that you tend to see when she when she makes substitutes it tends to be the same one two three substitutes so you're sort of thinking how many players are actually going to play in this World Cup what what sort of squad depth is she going is she going to use like realistically you're looking if she goes with the same eleven that started the game against France then you're sort of thinking does Lucy Quinn come off the bench does Amber Barrett come off the bench. Yeah, you, you, I'll be lacking. You're sort of thinking there's three or four that may come off the bench, other than that, you can't really see her. But then again, you, you sort of have to look upon when you when what you're alluding to there. And one of my biggest concerns is the goalkeeping departments. Courtney's been brilliant for us in the last year, rightly so, deserved the the international player of the year. But the two goalkeepers underneath her haven't played an awful lot of international football, haven't played an awful lot of club football in recent months. And I sort of I sort of said to you when we were having conversations before the Zambia game that I wouldn't have Courtney Brosnan even in the squad for the Zambia game. I sort of would have had Sophie Whitehouse as the, as the third keeper and looked to give at least two of the goalkeepers a run out. And then when she played Courtney in that game, played her against, against, against France as well, you're sort of thinking it's a little bit of a concern here if Courtney gets injured and like touch wood, she doesn't. But if that was to be the case and then you sort of, you're looking at the other two goalkeepers haven't played an awful lot of football in a, in a couple of months and put them into a, pre- a pressure environment and while both Megan Walsh and Grace Maloney have had stood up in pressure moments for clubs not playing football in, in a while is always a difficult is always a difficult one trying to, to bring someone in especially on, on a big stage like that's a that would be a concern for me like Megan Campbell Megan Connolly going back to centre back when, when Megan Campbell Ethan Mannion are ruled out and then you're, you're sort of putting Megan Connolly from midfield back to centre half you sort of have to think as well does she trust the other defenders that are in the squad? Because if so, why isn't, say, a clear road and going back into centre-back and you're leaving Megan Connolly in midfield? Or is it that she just wants to make room for Sinead Farley? Because all, all awards from even speaking to players and stuff like that is that Sinead has been brilliant in training. She's been brilliant in and around. I know you have a lot of concerns just because of the fact that 
he hasn't played an awful lot of football in in the last couple of years. And I do, but, I do want that. I'll interrupt you there because I, I I do have concerns about I suppose the amount of football she's played, but I think there's no doubt about her ability, and I mm-hmm. think she adds such talent to this Irish squad that she's an absolute starter in my book. I think I've. But can she play ninety? Is the question. I think she can. I think I, I've I've been following her through the NWSL over the last few weeks and months, and she has started to hit that ninety minute mark repeatedly for um for Gotham FC, and, and I think she's capable of delivering at that level. Whether she can do it in the heat, albeit in the Australian winter, but whether she can do it in the heat, uh, whether she can do it uh, in five days later from from the previous game or not. I don't know, but I would be nailing her on for 90 minutes in every single game, injuries aside, over the next um, three weeks. She is genuinely world-class, and I think th- I think she's a huge addition to the Irish team. I would question, I know we've talked on this show before about, say, uh, Heather O'Reilly signing for Shells, and we had a difference of opinion about what that was going to look like post-Champions League. I would have the same concerns about Sinead Farrelly uh, post World Cup, will it be a case that she came back just to tick this off her bucket list? And at the end of the NWSL season, we will see her no more on on any stage. Or is she back now for maybe three or four years in her mid thirties to to maybe even go to another World Cup in four years' time? That's a distinct possibility as well. I don't know the girl. I don't know the situation well enough to to really comment on that. But it will be interesting to watch that play out over the next few months and possibly, hopefully, a couple of years. I think Marissa Shiva. She's nearly a decade younger. I think we'll see a lot more of her in an Ireland jersey, hopefully. Uh, that will be my plan. I think she has brings an awful lot of, of ability to the Irish side as well. Um, Kira Caruso obviously plays a certain role for Ireland that she does really, really well in that helps the team. And that Vera seems very determined to go down that route with her as well. Um, I'm not sure there's another player in the squad who can play the same role to the same level as her. And that will be a concern in terms of system-wise. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah like... We're getting back to the, the problem is here. You, you're exactly what you're alluding to here is, is pretty much the whole Jamie Finn situation again because she, she said that Jamie was left out because it, it was tactically in the way they play now. What happens if Kira Caruso is not working and you need to change things up? Like, that's the sort of thing is what is she going to do? Yes, she'll bring Amber Barrett, she'll probably bring the legs from Amber Barrett on, but like, then you're having to change the system because they're two completely different types of players and. The way Ireland is set up at the minute, we tend to struggle with the likes of a, a change and things like that. And that'll be a, that will be a massive concern. I think realistically, and people may not like this and say this, but we're not going to, we're not going to the World Cup to play attack and football. We're going to the World Cup to play container football, try and break on the counter attack and see if he can nick a goal from set play. And like there's no there's nothing wrong with that either in terms of you have to play to your strengths, you have to play to what you can do. But like from an from an Ireland viewpoint, like we don't play the, the fancy football. We don't we we don't play the, the one touch quick pass and and we never we, we never have and we probably never we, we may never do that. But the the idea ideology the idea that we're sort of having to nearly stick with one system is a little bit concerning because we need to be adaptable. My biggest concern in terms of an Ireland viewpoint for this World Cup is what happens if we go a goal down early? That's the biggest concern I have for this World Cup is how are we going to respond? How are we going to get back into the games? How are we going to push on? Whereas if Ireland are keeping teams at nil off for say 60 minutes or so, then you'd fancy, okay, we might be able to nick something from a set play. We might be able to nick a draw. But if Ireland go one one goal down early, you're sort of thinking, mm, what's going to happen here? Like you look at 
prime example is the Safaki game in, in, in Tala when they went 1-0 down and it was sort of it was a late goal that got the equaliser and you're sort of thinking there Ooh, that's that could have been nearly catastrophic thankfully with the way the results worked out beating Finland twice it didn't, it didn't matter in the end but it could have mattered and it could have had a massive impact and the problem is is with the likes of in Australia even in Canada like actually and even include Nigeria who are, who are the best team in Africa when these sort of teams get you on the ropes they're going to turn the screw and they're going to look to pounce and they're going to look to add two, three goals and that's where the problem from an Ireland viewpoint is is that like you can't just settle for a 1-0 loss in the World Cup you have to sort of go and try and pull it back and that's where it leaves Ireland a little bit more exposed we've seen many times Louise Quinn going up top and hasn't really worked just pumping long, long balls into the box it hasn't really worked and like you take you take you take it back to when Ireland went on that run of seven seven losses in a row against the higher opposition. Yes, we learned an awful lot, but at times it was it was hard to watch. And like on a big on a big stage like this, you'd just be concerned for what what'll happen if we do go a goal down. But I think we just need to stay concentrated. I think that's the biggest thing for me from an Ireland viewpoint. If Ireland stay concentrated, they can stay in the game. But it's just if they drop that concentration for a moment, they will be punished. I have a question for you. Um, Ireland, uh, the last time they played Australia, of course, was in Tala just two years ago. Ireland won that game 3-2. And to be fair, not the weakest Australian team you could imagine out there. It did include some of the big names, particularly Sam Kerr did start that day. Mary Fowler featured that day. She would have been obviously probably just... Just before you ask the question, what's the, what's the big thing about Sam Kerr on that, on that, that, that game against Ireland? Ooh. Uh, don't know. Put you on the spot here. It was a 100 cap for Australia. Okay. Well, I have another one for you on the same game. A player for Australia uh, who played that day uh, will be at the World Cup, but not for Australia. Who is she and what country is she representing? Ooh. It's her only cap for Australia. She's since declared for another. She's pulled a Declan Rice and a Jack Grealish on it. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I don't I think, think think it's a New Zealand player. No, it's the Philippines. Uh, Angela Beard. Uh, her, her only cap for Australia was in Dublin and has since declared for the Philippines. Uh, so, yeah, there's one for you. I caught you out as well. So we're, we're even on that score. In terms of the game, though, uh, it's a very different Australia team to that night in Tala two years ago. There's an awful lot more at stake. It's in Australia. It's 10 times the crowd, uh, maybe 15 times the crowd. Um, how... How can we expect to compare the two games, or can we even compare the two games? No, can't. The biggest thing about that game when we beat Australia as well is the fact that Australia were coming off the Olympic cycle as well. So players have played a lot of games. Players, players have been away from home for quite a while. And it was one of them that it was sort of, I wouldn't read an awful lot into it. It's the same same way when Scotland beat Australia earlier in the year. I was looking at the teams, team there earlier earlier today, and completely different team I think Australia against us they, they did a couple of debutants as well like they've come on an awful lot they've come on and changed an awful lot since that game like I wouldn't read I wouldn't read anything into it yes from a from a certain cohort they're probably saying oh we've done it before we'll do it we'll do it again but football isn't isn't as simple as that and I think if you just look at the way the form that the, that the Australians are coming into the World Cup haven't beaten England and haven't beaten France as well but like the thing for me is is that like when you when you listen to the media, Australian media talking today, there's a lot of expectation on Australia. People are talking about them winning the World Cup, so there is a lot of pressure, and that's where I think, or that, that's where I think from an Ireland viewpoint, this it's probably the right time to get Australia 
although they're on good form, first game of the World Cup, the game has been moved from a 40,000 seater stadium to a, I think, I think they're saying the official capacity is, is according to FIFA, 75,000 tomorrow. Just there's been a couple of things having to be taken out because of like press additional press stuff put in. So like if you're moving the game to a bigger stadium, you're doing things like that. There's an awful lot of pressure on, and like from an Australian viewpoint, they're all over the they're all over the media here, they're all over billboards, they're all over everything. So there's an awful lot of pressure on them, and like realistically, as much as Katie says, Katie McCabe says in the press conference that we're we're not here just to make up numbers. It's a it's it's a hundred percent a free shot for the likes of, for the likes of in Ireland or the or the lower ranked teams against against these bigger nations and I think personally like I think the longer we if we stay in the game for quite a while I think we would frustrate them we could get the Australian crowd extremely frustrated like they'll get they'll get they'll get annoyed and then that could really play into Ireland's hands but you you from an Ireland viewpoint I think the first 10, 20 minutes is really important just to keep in the game stay in the game stay composed. Yeah, I can see now Australia scoring on the first attack and all of what we've just said goes out the window. In terms of, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned Katie's reference in the press conference because other than the, the Denise Sullivan news, I think it was the one bit for me that I was glad to hear somebody actually say in plain English because there has been a huge uh, feel of we're just delighted to be here. We don't really, we, we don't have any ambitions other than just being at the tournament has come through a few times. The cancellation of the friendly with Colombia seemed to be more about self-preservation than actual competition for me. Um, particularly when I saw the the tackle, and obviously we don't know the background, we don't haven't seen the full 20 minutes, but um, the, there was very little in that tackle in my book. Definitely not um, match cancellation territory. I think a conversation maybe, a chat with the referee, a, a chat with the opposing team manager, maybe changing a couple of things or whatever but but to cancel a game over what she said like, she said she tried to, she said to try to have that conversation with them but they didn't seem to be interested in having that conversation like i i don't know if you've seen it on social media like in former Ireland international and, and wnl star uh, caroline torp like even she was going on social media saying that for her the tackles not a, the tackle doesn't you know really warrant the a game being abandoned like there was a couple of other tackles previously in the game but the problem is is that we haven't seen any other tackles to make the decision yes the tackle on Denise it's late it's it's probably a little bit reckless but it's not it's I when, when you sort of hear initially like, listen you never want anybody to go to the hospital with it from a tackle but when you sort of hear initially I was expecting it to be an awful lot worse than it actually was yeah that's being honest. When I think there, there was probably there probably was a little bit of self preservation just to, to not want to have anybody injured going into that opening going into that opening game and like. But how, do we risk do we risk being undercooked because we haven't had that game that everybody else had last week? Potentially, I know they went straight back into a training into training the next morning, and I don't think that was planned. So I don't know whether they played in eleven v eleven amongst each other in house. But yet again, but the problem is that problem with that is is that. Yes, when you look at another when you look at other, another sport like Gaelic football, for example, when eleven v eleven the fifty the A versus B games can sometimes be really really competitive. How competitive would that sort of game be on the, if, if Ireland were to do that on the lead up to a World Cup? Would players be players be concerned about not getting injured? Would player you do would they take a half a step back? So from your viewpoint, I, I, I fully get where you're you're coming from in terms of the potential undercooked undercooked being from from certain players. Like you look at the the friendlies, like the first friendlies, a lot of players who 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 played in that friendlies, and some of them were, were sort of on a last chance saloon to try and make the World Cup. 
then the players who played in the French the French game, like a lot, a good amount of them featured in both in both games. Then some didn't, and then you're looking at the likes of Kira Caruso, for example, didn't feature in the Zambia game. The the ideology behind it was that they were giving other players an opportunity, but like it's 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 a difficult one because they see a lot of their seasons finished quite early, and so some of them only really have played what. 90 minutes, someone 120 minutes. Like, you haven't seen Katie McCabe since finishing with Arsenal, probably has played, what, she like 33 minutes against France. And for about six or seven minutes of that, she, she was struggling, struggling, struggling a bit with her foot. So, it, it, it is always a concern. It is always a worry, roughly. And, like, I, I just think injuries are part of the game. And if you're preparing for a tournament, you almost have to anticipate that if you're playing a proper build up series, whether it's training or, or, or friendly games or whatever it's going to be, um, you have to legislate for maybe in a squad of 23, picking up one, maybe two, possibly even three injuries. And yeah, it we might haven't be had any. players. Well, we haven't had any, but my concern now is have we uh, put so much um, protection around certain players in terms of when they play and how they play and who they play against and, and what happens when they play, that maybe they're going to be that just a little bit off the pace. And, and I think we've given... Um, the likes of Nigeria, who we I would have expected us to be competitive with, uh, Canada and Australia were capable of taking points off as well. I, I see us as the potential to take five or six points in this group if everything goes exceptionally well. I don't think we'll beat both Australia or Canada. We do have the potential to beat both or at least not to lose to either. Um, so I, I think there's a realistic prospect of us challenging to get out of this group. I don't know if I'm getting that same feeling from within the management particularly. I'm getting it from the players when I hear them talking, but I'm not sure I'm getting it from from Vera and and her utterances over the last few weeks and months. I've just been getting a feeling of I'm just delighted to be here. It's a it's a fair it's a fair assessment it's a fair assessment and like when you see even you see even today, like there was times where it was a couple of questions answered and the answers from from Vera were quite were quite mellow to what you'd normally expect or you'd normally you'd normally see from her. So has the last couple of weeks taken up, taken a lot out of her as well to the stage that doing these sort of things, the media stuff sort of becomes a chore and then it comes across as a slightly, how would you say, not interested but or, or disinterested in actually speaking to the media. And like, it, it's, it's a strange one. But the only thing I will say is we'll know an awful lot come the first five, ten minutes tomorrow in, in, in the game. And that's, that's the biggest thing. We'll know what to expect. We'll know what's going to come. And like, it's it's one that like and I, I can't say stress this enough. I think it's 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 important we get a good start in this game. It doesn't mean we have to be leading leading at half time or anything. It just means we have to be in the game. We have to be at least creating some sort of opportunities. Like because if you look at you said there a second ago, you think Ireland have potential to maybe take five or six points out of this out of this group. Coming away from an opening day loss against Australia is probably Disaster starting off because then you're going, you're chasing the eight ball for the rest, the rest of the competition. Whereas, I think realistically for Ireland to get out of this group, they're going to have to take something out of this first game. They're going to that, that's it doesn't have to be a win, but they're going to have to take some sort of result because look at the first two games that Ireland have. They, they play Australia first, then if they the, the long haul trip over to over the Perth to play Canada, which would be another absolute massive test and Olympic champions as well. I, I understand and. Canada are a little bit in disarray at the minute, but just because they're in disarray off the pitch doesn't mean that, that on the pitch they're not going to come and potentially put in a, put in a, a world class performance. Like 
We're still the Olympic but, champions at the end of the day. Like, it, and yeah, even yeah. half that squad is still going to be better than what we've delivered uh, in international football over the last 20 years. Uh, maybe just hold that thought for one second. We're just going to pop and listen to uh, you had a chat before they left uh, back in that media day in UCD. You had a chat with a couple of the Irish girls that haven't seen the light of day. Maybe we might just share that with the audience right now. So we might hear from first Heather Payne and then Lucy Quinn. We'll be back with you in just a couple of months. Um, yeah, like this last week has been, you know, um, a lot of mixed emotions. I think everyone has been so nervous and, you know, very unsettled because we didn't know who was going to be picked. And it's been a difficult week, you know. Of course, you want to be happy that you picked, and but of course, you're going to be disappointed for the girls that didn't get picked. But I think, you know, the Sky event last night um, was really uplifting for all the girls, and, you know, it allowed us to actually celebrate being picked. And of course, today is a new day again. And I think, um, you know, it's starting to hit that we are the 23 that's going to be on the plane. So that's kind of nice. The attention that's around the squad as well. It must be nice in a sense that you're doing a lot of interviews, but it must be nice to see you know, people that actually have attention. Not just media, fans, people that tweet talking about squad and talking about it. Like you put a post on social media yourself about being in the World Cup squad and everybody's commenting on it. That must be really nice. Yeah, of course. I think over the last six months, you know, the build up to this World Cup has been huge and you can see even like over the past week, um, the media coverage and everything, it's kind of surreal. Um, you know, for a lot of us, it's our first time being under this media and everything. So. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's it's starting to become real and I think even it won't even be fully real until we get to Australia. That's just for me anyways. Um, it doesn't really feel like, you know, I'm actually going to play in the World Cup, which is kind of crazy. Um, but, you know, um, yeah, it's just been great, you know, to see all this support from the whole country. It's absolutely brilliant. Considering where the team have come from since where you, you made the debut to where they are now, it's a massive difference and it's a massive change on the pitch, off the field, and even in terms of the way things are going and momentum stuff like that. It must be, how do you reflect or how do you look back on it since you've made a day with how things have come so far? Yeah, of course. I think someone asked me earlier about, you know, the 2019 Women's World Cup and if I had thought about, you know, being in the World Cup myself. And I, I didn't even really think about it back in 2019. Um, I was just watching it, enjoying it because we hadn't even made a Euros and to make the Euros was obviously the next step and that was what my full focus was on. But the fact that we've actually made a World Cup now is absolutely brilliant and you know, um, from back in 2017 when I made my debut to now, it's been such growth over those past six years and it's absolutely great to see, you know, I think a lot of the older girls have put so much work into getting this team where they are now and you know, of course to follow in their footsteps is absolutely great. I know a lot of people in 27 will talk about the protests and stuff like that, but the biggest thing off the back of that was Ireland had to deliver. So there was a lot of pressure as well. I mean, when you reflect the Euros campaign, and it's probably one that you look back to, it was a disappointment you didn't get there. The very next competition they make the World Cup off the back of it, and to beat Scotland and have the park to qualify. Yeah, of course. I think, you know, we were obviously all devastated when we didn't make the Euros. That was our full-on aim and, you know, that Ukraine game was absolutely, um, yeah, devastating. So I think for us to make a, a World Cup, I, like I said, throughout the campaign I had full belief. I don't know what it was. I just thought, you know, the team had a good feeling about it and, um, yeah, to beat Scotland in their home ground as well made it extra special. Yeah. And for you, you've had quite a lot of success in college football and stuff like that. What does it mean for you to be going to a World Cup? Because I know you're, how much you've come on. I know from watching when you made your debut, you know, how much does it mean for you to be going to a World Cup? Of 
course it means everything. I think no matter what, when you put on your Irish jersey, it's such an honour and you're going to give everything you can. And I think I've had a lot of growth over the past four years since I went to FSU. Um, and, you know, to be actually, for it to pay off and to be actually playing in a World Cup this summer is incredible. Family are everything to you. I know that. How many of the family are making a trip to Australia? Yeah, they're, they're all going to be going around. Both my parents, my brother, my sister, and I have a few aunts and uncles as well that are making the trip. So, um, yeah, it's going to be great to have their support over there. And I think just for them to be a part of a World Cup as well is absolutely brilliant. And was it nice telling them that, you know, I made the World Cup? What was that like for you? Yeah, of course, you know, um, it was a big relief because, like I said, everyone was nervous going into it. Um, and just to finally have that 23 named, um, yeah, they were absolutely delighted. Thanks, Amanda. We're here, squad, squad media day. You're in the 23 for the World Cup. For you, it must have been a bit of a, was it a, bit of a strange move because you weren't originally in the squad for the USA game. Then you brought in, you played two games, played quite a lot of the games. How did you feel then when you're coming into this, this, this camp? Was it, were you nervous? Um, I was nervous. Everybody was nervous, I guess. But for me, it was... I, man, I was called in late to that USA camp and I feel like I gave the best account of myself. I feel like I stepped up another level because I felt like maybe the pressure wasn't on me anymore. I don't know. But yeah, it was a good springboard for me I think I really wanted to push on I didn't want to just do well in that one camp I wanted to go back um, and do well at my club in the end of the season and I think I was in really good form towards the end of the season and coming into this camp I wanted to, to continue that and just to hopefully have done enough and yeah I've made the squad and that's a massive relief. For you what has the last number of weeks since you've been the camp in it's, it's actually been brilliant. <laughs> it, you should be really, really nervous and upset. And don't get me wrong, it's it's tough. I think people underestimate the stress and the nerves and the ups and downs. But I've just loved being back with the girls. I've loved being back in Dublin. It's World Cup fever everywhere. I was on holiday and enjoying myself, but I was eager to get back and train. And yeah, I, I've just loved it. And obviously that's very easy to say now, sat here knowing that I'm in the 23. Um, but yeah, just to be back with everyone was was special, yeah. When you look back to the Zambia game, it was probably a difficult for people to put their hand up for selection as well because it was a tough opposition and a lot of players haven't played for so long. When you, when you leave the Zambia game, are you more nervous? Are you less nervous? Me personally, you mean? Yeah, I, I came on in that game, so obviously I got to do a little bit. Um, I did a few nice things and a few dodgy touches, but Vera, in fairness to herself, she, she acknowledges where we're at. We've been on our holidays, we're in the off-season and this is us kind of getting back into it and getting rid of some of the rust and yeah, I was, I was really nervous if I'm honest. The squad is just so competitive, there are so many good players, um, good players in my position, some of the young kids coming through that are just ridiculous that I'm just so excited to see them in the next four or five years, they're the next generation of green. So yeah, I was definitely nervous but... Um, yeah, but I was proud that I gave the best account of myself in the past 12 months. A lot of players talk about the overall emotion of the players who missed out as well. When it starts to sink in a little while later that you're going to the World Cup, yeah. how were them conversations with family and friends for you? Yeah, it was tough. Obviously, I'm super close with Harriet Scott and Jamie Finn. I play with them at club and we're we're all close as, as, a, as a whole team and they'll be travelling with us. And it, it has been tough to try and support the players that missed out. Um, but yeah, obviously we're here for them and can do the best that we can do. But there were also, I was lucky enough to have nice moments where I would phone my parents and tell them the good news and 
yeah there were tears and they were just absolutely over the moon and yeah that's something that I'll be able to remember forever. So you get today out of the way, it's the last real major media team with all the squad here today, you just get to focus there France next Thursday and then heading to Australia, that must be nice that you've got that meeting so yeah. away today. Yeah definitely, um, I think this is all great, I think it brings it all home and I think it brings um, exposure for kids to see people and, and we love this side of it but deep down the professional in you is like right I've got to train I've got to go home eat have my nap you start to think, think about France and yeah you start, start to set targets and look forward to going into the tournament so yeah the the footballer in you is just ready to get going now like, it's, a, it's a really difficult group as well the France game is probably the ideal game to, to, to sort yeah. of give you a marker as the way you're going into that yeah. Yeah, so for me, I wanted a tough group. Uh, you're not going to go to a World Cup and not have a tough group. But for me, Australia, Canada, Nigeria were all unbelievable draws, like super challenging, but that's what we want. Um, yeah, you're not going to progress without testing yourself against the best. And I think, like you say, France will be a really good test. Obviously, what a quality team. And yeah, we've got to keep pushing on and striving on now. We can't get comfortable and these games certainly won't be comfortable. Australia on the opening day, second game of the World Cup, New Zealand opening earlier in the day. We built a bigger stadium. Yeah. There's so many Irish there. Yeah. Is the countdown onto that, or can you look at that game yet, or can you think towards that? Yeah, no, I'm definitely thinking about it in in terms of the atmosphere. I think the fact that they've had to move it to a bigger stadium, and this will be the biggest women's World Cup that there ever has been, and the amount of Irish travelling over, and so many Irish already there. I think people underestimate how many how many. Uh, people in green there are going to be so yeah we're really really excited for that and it's one that I'm starting to look forward to um, and I just think it's going to be brilliant. And Lucy Quinn there giving you her thoughts again that was done about two weeks ago prior to their departure prior to that game against France but uh, the sentiment is, is quite the same and both girls talked about that kind of moment of ringing home and telling them uh, mom and dad I've made it and that's never going to change that's probably a, a moment that both they and their families will remember uh, outside of the actual football pitch for the next few, well, probably till to the, the, day, the day they die, essentially. Especially considering there's only, there only ever going to be one first Women's World Cup that Ireland qualified for as well. And that's, that's the biggest thing. And like, as I was saying to Heather, like, the pressure was massively on Ireland considering what happened in 2017, equal pay, all these sort of things. They had to deliver. And that's the big, that's the BL and end all. If they don't, didn't deliver, people would question, okay, you know, Forget the, the the basics that they were got that they were asked for originally, but they were given so much more. They were given they were given everything to help them to achieve the 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 the, the division of qualifying for a major tournament. And I think they had to do it because the longer that I went, the more it would dwindle on. People would ask questions. People is what's happened with the structure of Irish football? We can't get to a major competition. So like for them to bridge that hurdle was probably a massive relief. And I think that's why. When you when you look at tomorrow, that's probably why you see some of the players are quite relaxed as well because of the fact that they they've they've come so far, they've bridged so many hurdles. Now now they just get to get the opportunity to go and express themselves in front of a massive crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, uh, just looking at the at the uh, overall draw, we haven't really talked about this in the build up at all. Uh, but if Ireland do manage to get out of this group again, not beyond the realms of possibility, I think. Yeah, I know the hands. I know, are what, I know what you're. I know yeah. exactly what you're going to say. Realistically, if we get out of this group, it's most likely in second place, which means we'd face the winners of Group D, um, and the likely winners of Group D 
are the one of neighbors. two teams. Uh, there's China are in that group, and they'd be kind of there, thereabouts. Denmark, they'd be a tough opponent as well. Haiti, unlikely to get out of Group D, but stranger things have happened. But it's the noisy neighbours. We haven't played them in decades. It's been a long time since Ireland played England uh, in men's football, really. I think we'd won under Stephen Kenny in the early days, and back then it was the early 90s before we'd played them. Um, but now it's... It's Ireland, England. Potentially, if Ireland get out of the group, it's a it's a fifty fifty shot really that we'll get England in the next uh, stage. How much would that mean to the powers that be and and the, the diaspora and and everyone? Would you be still in, in the in Australia for that game if it, if it was to come around? Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, I would be. Like it, like the thing is, if if Ireland were to top the group, they go back to Sydney again. If they were to finish second in the group, they'd stay in Brisbane. So like. You're talking about the England game. Like, if if Ireland come out with that group, more than likely they'd get Denmark or England. Could you imagine what an Ireland England game in a World Cup would be like? It would be unbelievable. The problem is, is a lot of dominoes will have to fall. And I was only listening to something earlier on today, and I think it's 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 quite poignant to talk about. It. And like we 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 like to talk about nostalgia when it comes to Ireland and stuff like that. So you look at when Ireland got the result in, in Helsinki. Eamon Coughlin also won a medal in Helsinki in athletics. Ireland got a result in Gothenburg. Sonia Sullivan had also won a, a medal, a world medal in Gothenburg. Ireland playing the Olympic Stadium tomorrow, 2002. Sonia Sullivan won, won silver in the Olympics. Same stadium, same venue. Like, I thought you were going back there's to a lot of nostalgia. With Ronnie there's, a lot of nostalgia. there's a lot of nostalgia. It's just because of the cities they played in and stuff like that. That, that when the, the ones that have had big success, Ireland have also had other success on, 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 a, on a major front. And, like people are talking a little bit about this, you can see the the Australians are sort of built in a little bit with theirs. With the, we're bringing we're bringing in an ex name's gonna elude me an ex two hundred meter sprint sprint champion in that that had meant so much to the squadron. It's just when you look at nostalgia, look at things. We're always punching above our weight as as a country, and like there's no there's no doubt about it. In our world, to get out of group, they're gonna have to have eight, a a nine out of ten performances from nearly all the, nearly all of the squad. In every game, it'll be difficult, but it'll be unbelievable. I think this World Cup is really grasping a lot of people. It's grasping a lot of people in the football community back home. And I think that's probably the most important thing is that there will be a legacy left from this World Cup, no matter what. Hopefully, we have a legacy on the pitch as well as off the pitch. Was it Cathy Freeman you were thinking of? That's the one. That's the name indeed. And you mentioned Solon O'Sullivan. They're intrinsically linked. Uh, but then that's another story. I'll leave you to do a bit of research on that in your own time. Uh, talk to me about the game tomorrow night in your world, morning our time. Um, can Ireland get a result? If so, how are they likely to achieve it? Yeah, for me, it's extremely difficult to get a result. Your, your, head, your head says there's probably a better chance that they won't, but your heart is always saying, as, a, as an Irish person, that you... We can we can get something out of this game. In order for Ireland to get something out of the game, they need to be extremely tight at the back. They need to make sure they contain the likes of Caitlin Ford, Sam Kerr, keep them keep them sort of occupied. Like Sam Kerr was asked today about the doing the, the somersaults and stuff like that, and she was saying hopefully it's not a game that's that's close where if she scores that she can keep them for later in the tournament. So from an Ireland viewpoint, they need to keep it tight. They need to keep it keep it composed and. If they stay in the game for sixty minutes, I think then they'll they'll start to sort of cause a lot of trouble for for Australia, who'll get nervous and stuff like that. And then maybe we could nick a goal from a set play. The thing is, you look at the you look at the results we've had. A lot of a lot of the best results we've had, especially in this group campaign, have all been away from home. Scotland, Finland, Sweden—they've all been away from home, where we've managed to get big result, big results. And 
there'll be no bigger stage than to pick up a pick up a, a result or a point on the on the opening day on the opening day of World Cup. I think anything is anything is possible in football. Like we've we've seen it before, but I just think from an Ireland viewpoint, we need to be switched on. We need to be everybody at least nine out of ten performances in order for Ireland to get something out again. Yeah, it's going to be a big, big ask, but we're looking forward to it. Closer to home, of course, on Saturday, before we wrap up, the Avenir Sports Cup final takes so, place. Sunday. Uh, is it Sunday? I don't know. It's I'm Sunday. Only, I'm only commentating on it. I should know these things. Um, but it's uh, this weekend, Cliftonville and and uh, Galway United take uh, the trip to the showgrounds. It's going to be an interesting afternoon for both teams. Their first Avenir Sports Cup. Cliftonville, of course, uh, have been there thereabouts for a while. Galway, it's their first year. Um, your thoughts on on how this might go? I'm intrigued how it might go. I think realistically, for me, Galway going. I think Galway going to the competition as the finalist favourites, considering this the the result in the semi final, the result the result against Shelburne in the group stage. Like when I seen Cliftonville against Bowes, I thought Cliftonville. Um, I thought Cliftonville probably in the second half they were good. First half they they struggled a little bit, but it'll be an even enough game. I think it'll be it'll be it'll be one that will be, be it'll be a hard fought game. It's good to see that Galway. I think now have put have to put on a second bus, the supporters bus, because there's people want to come to it. The FAI are trying to get loads of skilled kids out and then club kids out just to, to come and support. It. And I think realistically, not just not just for you, but for for the two teams, I think the venue is a is a, is a great choice as well. Is a great choice as well. And it'll be it'll be a tight encounter. There won't be an awful lot between them. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes all the way. If it goes to penalties, I I I assume that if it's level after ninety minutes again, like in the in the semi-finals, they'll go straight to penalties. I don't think there'll be an awful lot between these two sides. I think it'll be a, it'll be a close enough game. It'll be a close enough game that it could be decided by, by one goal. I think for me, it was the name I masked my head to, to the to the grass. I'd say I think Galway might just shade a one 0 Yeah, it's funny. I I tend to disagree with you. My heart says I'd love Galway to win it. The romance of it, I think they deserve it in terms of the work they've put in over the last few years to get to the stage they're at within the club, within the community, all of that stuff down in Galway. It's phenomenal. I do think Clifton will come in as favourites, though. Uh, uh, you think Galway are slight favourites. I don't agree with that. I think Clifton will come in as favourites purely based on the experience, the number of international players in their midst, um, the likes of uh, just the quality that they have from, from top, top to bottom. But they've been together longer as a group, and I think that will stand to them. I do hope, personally... Uh, that it's Galway that, that come through. But I think Cliftonville, uh, if I was putting money on it, I would be shading that side of the fence. But we'll see all things to be revealed. I did check my emails. It is Sunday. You're right. Uh, <laughs> still correcting me from 15,000 miles away. So uh, cheers. At, at, least you didn't go, at least you didn't go to, to the showgrounds on Saturday afternoon wondering where nobody was. <laughs> It'd be worse if it was the other way around. You showed up on Sunday for a game that was played on Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Uh, in terms of... Uh, the overall mood, though, of course, we're, we're joking now, but it's it's a real feel-good time for Irish football. Uh, all the controversies aside, selection issues, uh, coaching question marks, um, how phenomenal is it as someone who's been entrenched in the game for the last decade or so, Aaron, um, myself, maybe a touch longer, uh, to see girls that we've watched grow into international superstars take to the field in a World Cup. Uh, I'm buzzing for some of these girls, the ones I know personally and particularly, um, I'm, I'm delighted for uh, the likes of Anya Gorman, Louise Quinn, Nee Fahey. They've been soldiering a long, long time uh, amongst others. But uh, it's great to see these girls getting this opportunity and getting 
finally getting through to a, a serious final competition. Hundred percent. Like I remember, I remember just as an example, Heather Payne. I remember interviewing Heather Payne after she made her debut in the National League, and you know, see players like that how they've come on. See a young Katie McCabe when she was lighting things up. When when you just seen her before me, when she was lighting things up for for Heaney United before you before even the transfer talk and all this sort of stuff started happening. And then you, you look at you look at then the other players who've come through the league and. I like the way the FAI done the done the out the other day, where they had the, the pictures of the of the players' first clubs as well, and I think thought it was a nice touch as well because there's been a lot of a lot of players who maybe some who maybe haven't grasped the national league went different paths went different avenues, but like for for, for so many of them who've soldiered on who've who've been foot soldiers and you sort of looked upon you mentioned a couple of names there the likes of Louise Quinn on your gorman you sort of would have thought after the last couple of years. Would they ever get here? Would they ever get the chance? Or would it would it pass them by? Like you have to think it's been a couple of years as well since Ireland have qualified even for an underage competition as well. And like you, you started thinking, when's the next time it's going to happen? And then when the World Cup comes along, like I think I think if we if we, if you reflect back, looking even on the campaign itself, like when you when you look to Finland, the home game that secured the the playoff, and then it was it was everything that happened that weekend. Those three teams, two results went to Ireland way, Ireland's way, which meant that if Ireland go to Slovakia and win, they avoided the they avoided the, the first round of the playoff, which meant they didn't have to play an extra game. Then on the night of the playoff, two of the results went their way as well. Results went their way as well, which meant that if Ireland won, they avoided the playoff in New Zealand again, straight through to the World Cup. And it's it's just it's just been it's been a magical magical year year to eight, eighteen months, and like for a lot of the younger players. They probably as much as they they say they've read an awful lot about what's gone on, what's happened. They won't really have experienced the the, the bad days, the the poor ebb, the poor ebbs and flows and things. But for the likes of the Louise Queens, the ones who've soldiered on, like your your thoughts always go for the likes of Emma Bourne, who just missed out on, on the likes of qualification and stuff like that. But these pioneers sort of set the stall out for for the players that have come, and like it's great to hear the likes of Katie talking about legacy wanting to leave their legacy off the back of this and qualifying for a major tournament is their, is their legacy and it's about the next generation that are going to come I think the next generation will feel so many benefits off the back of this and it, it's everything is, is just a positive for Irish football in terms of it, it'll continue to grow I still think there's an awful lot that needs to be done by other stakeholders not just not just the FAI to help push it on to the next level but they're the sort of conversations that will happen after the World Cup and I think it's, it's just about enjoying the moment enjoying the experience and Seeing where, the, seeing where the journey will take Ireland. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the early days of Katie McCabe at Rohini United. Actually, uh, across her path to St. Francis before her Rohini United days, she played in an under-16 uh, FAI Cup final for me back in the day. Unfortunately, on the losing side, uh, she had about 17 shots, uh, none of them on targets, but we won't talk about that. Hopefully, it's a bit different tomorrow. Um, beaten 2-0 by a Colga side that had uh, some Women's National League players in it themselves, uh, the likes of Alana Moran, who's gone on to be a performance analyst with the FAI. Um, who else? Kira Cormack and played with Galway WFC. There's a few girls who went on to play with Galway WFC in that uh, very talented Colgus side. A few uh, recognisable names in the St. Francis team as well. Uh, Katie McCabe, of course, uh, but also Paula Doran and a few others. Um, I think uh, yeah, plenty plenty more girls. Grony Walsh went on to be a, a medal winning Irish boxing um international as well so uh, loads of talent coming through but Katie McCabe has obviously gone on to to phenomenal things where she leads out Ireland tomorrow night and it's uh, it's great to see um, 
the efforts and the reward that these girls have put in. Not only have they made a career for themselves uh, in the game, but now to go on and, and reach the highest level. And uh, it's exciting for anyone who's involved with any of those girls in any way, shape or form over the last 15, 20, 25, 30, 35 years in, in some cases. Go on, Aaron. Just a reminder, um, I probably won't see it until I wake up. But the Ross Whitaker documentary drops at 9.35, I think, this evening, which has interviews with players and stuff like that in a build-up. And it, it's great to see that we're seeing documentaries and stuff like that coming out to, to sort of harness and, uh, and, and, and push on the, the, whole, the whole movement and the whole Women's World Cup movement. And I, I think people, yes, timing for an Ireland, from an Ireland viewpoint, from Ireland fans, isn't ideal from the time of games when the games are on. But the fact that every World Cup game is going to be so accessible as well, people are going to tune in. They're going to enjoy the World Cup. They're going to enjoy enjoy it for what it is, and you know, it's 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 going to be a month a month of excitement. Yeah, of course. And uh, if you want to keep track of all the games, not just the Irish games, but all the games in the Women's World Cup, uh, regardless of what time of the night or morning or afternoon they're taking place on, uh, you can, of course, get all that information at finalwhistle.ie over the next four weeks, right up until and including, of course, the final. It all kicks off tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., the first game. But from an Irish point of view, 11 a.m., uh, Stadium Australia against the hosts, Australia promises to be very exciting uh we're going to be trying to find a watch party in ireland aaron's found seventy-five thousand people to join him in a watch party in stadium australia tomorrow I'm not jealous at all i promise i put those to bed slightly slightly i will be sending you texts uh at kickoff tomorrow all the same aaron as always a pleasure enjoy uh, the night's sleep uh, if you can sleep i know it's an exciting time for everybody involved in irish football um, and if you ha- can't sleep, do check out on Disney Plus the Matildas. If you're looking for the uh, the alternative view, uh, that's a really good piece of uh, documentary filmmaking on the Australian side. It gives you a really good insight into what they've been up to for the last two years or so. Conveniently comes in just after Ireland beat them, but we won't talk about that uh, two years ago. Aaron, as always, a pleasure. Uh, we'll chat to you again uh, very shortly and enjoy the game.